And it's good to greet one another. You know, we came in the other night. I took Jeannie to town, and we were just running an errand, but I wound up taking her out for dinner. Huh? It's a good thing. And so when we came back through, the, the uh, worship team was actually having a dinner. They didn't get to have one, I think, at Christmas or something. So they, they were having a dinner, and I said, let's stop by and just say, greet everybody. You know, we came in. The kids were just playing and running up and down the hall, and I just stopped right there, and I said, Jeannie, listen to that. That is the sound of praise right there. We walked into the, uh, to the children's center and all the worship team, they were playing, they were having a foosball tournament and they were just loving on each other. Come on, that's church right there. How do we demonstrate the love of Christ? He said, by this shall men know that you're my disciples. You love each other. That's, be, that's church right there. That is what it's supposed to look like. And I said, this is so wonderful, you know. And uh, that, that's just a good thing. And I, I appreciate you guys greeting each other and loving each other and, and uh, working out things. Amen? We ought to be doing that. And so, um, yeah. Before I get into the word, I heard, how many of you listen, love Jensen Franklin? Huh? Every morning when I'm getting ready, I, there's a couple ministers that come on TV. So we turn on Jensen and... And uh, John Hagee's son, we listened to him a little bit as I'm getting ready. And he said something this morning I just thought was interesting. He said, there was a guy, his name was uh, Stuart uh, Holden, Heldon, I forget his last name. But in 1951, he was a songwriter. And he went to a Billy Graham uh, meeting and he came to the altar and committed his life to Christ. And so Jesus just gloriously changed his heart. Now, sometime after that, he went to some friend's house, and they were, there was a conversation. I didn't catch all the details exactly of what he said. He said, but there was a conversation, something about how do you work out your problems, and what do you do, and this and that, and how do you get over situations. And they're going around the room, I do this, I do that. And when it came to him, he said, quote, there is no secret to what God can do in a man's life. All right? Now, in that room was John Wayne. Who knows who John Wayne is? I, I, I got a magazine in my office with John Wayne on the front of it. I, I asked some of the children that came in, children of the worship team, I said, do you know who that is? And they said, no. I looked at mom and dad. I said, you need to repent. <laughs> How many of you like blue blood? Blue blood. They, they were sitting around the table and, and Danny Reagan, he's a cop, he ran in and got this armed man and his wife was upset said you went John Wayne on him well, Danny's son said who is John Wayne and Frank Reagan the father of the group he said that, that's, that's sad everybody should know who John Wayne is right well John Wayne was at this house and he followed Stuart out he said Stuart that what you said was powerful he said that touched me right here he said you should write a song and title it there is no secret to what God can do. Right. Stuart went home, sat down at the keyboard, and in 17 minutes, he wrote out the words and the music to There Is No Secret, What God Can Do. Published in 1951, and it says, The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You might have longed for added strength, your courage to renew, but do not be disheartened. I have good news for you. There is no secret to what God can do. 
What he's done for others, he'll do for you. His arms are wide open, and he'll pardon you because there is no secret to what God can do. There is no night for his light. You'll never walk alone. Always feel at home wherever you may roam because there's no power can conquer you while God is on your side. Just take him at his promise. Don't run away and hide because there's no secret to what God can do. How many of you believe that this morning? There is no secret to what God can do. And I believe that God wants to do something in our life. I really do. Now, I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and, and um, I, I think this was, I, I don't think, in fact, I know that this was God's timing. Because what I'm going to preach on this morning, I wanted to preach on three weeks ago. And, and, and it's just the way God does things. I sat down to pull my sermon notes together, and I've got the direction I want to go, and God doesn't let me always go that direction. And so three weeks ago, I wound up preaching something else. And then last week, I was going to do the same thing. I preached a sermon years ago when divine touches dust. It creates destiny. And I wanted to preach that again, you know, when divine touches dust. Every time God touches somebody, it changes the direction they're going and their destination. Amen? Yes. And so I've been wanting to preach that. And I said, I wanted to preach it last week. And I sat down to get my notes together and God took me in another direction about criticizing one another and finding fault in each other. And, but this week, God directed me back to what I wanted to preach three weeks ago. And so this brother, he comes to me and he says, and I'm not betraying his confidence. I'm not going to call his name so you won't know who he is and I, his confidence will still be intact. But he said, quote, I know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the experience that made all the difference in my relationship with God. But I see others that have the same convictions and behaviors that I do, but they give no testimony of having ever received that same experience. He said, why is that, Pastor? They live just as holy, and then they got as much power and he said, I know when I examine my life, I can see, see a clear line of demarcation. It was when God baptized me in the spirit, it made all the difference in my life. I know that about myself. But I see other people, they don't make any profession. And maybe they even say, I know that that's not happened to me. I've never experienced that. But they live the same convictions that I do. Why is that? And so... Before I answer, let me, let me ask you this way. If you're married this morning, I want to ask you something. I don't want you to respond. And don't go home and ask your mate, how did you answer that question? All right, I don't want to create a problem here. All right. But let me ask you, are you loyal to the keeping of your marriage vows because you gave your pledge? Because you made a commitment. You stood at an altar. You said, I promise to love you, to honor you, to cherish you. I will forsake all others and cleave to you as long as we both shall live. Is it because you made that promise that you keep those vows? You're honor bound to keep your word. Or because you have fallen so deeply in love with your mate to betray those vows would be unthinkable. All right. In both examples, when you're looking from the outside, both couples share and keep the same vows. One is out of discipline. It's out of obligation. It's out of commitment. The other 
is out of a very deep, meaningful relationship that they have built. Same behavior in both houses, right? Now, as Christians, the Bible teaches that we are to live our lives in a certain way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. All right? Now, I'm doing this teaching today with a question and answer format. All right? So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. You don't have to answer. I'm going to answer them for you. All right? Do you observe the rules of God out of a strict adherence to a religious belief, out of a sense of honor and duty? God, I promised you that I'm going to give you my life. I, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I made that promise, and I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to do what's right because it's right, because I promised to do that, or out of a fear of consequences of breaking those promises. You know, because he said, be holy and live with peace with all men and holiness, because without that, you won't see God. So I'm going to keep my life holy because I don't want to suffer the consequences of it. I'm going to keep my vows to my wife, to my husband, because I don't want to suffer the consequences of divorce and all of that and everything. So I keep it out of obligation, out of commitment, out of the promise I made. Or as Christians, do we keep our commitment to Jesus because he has so touched your heart, he has so changed your life that to break your vows to him would be unthinkable. So I answered the question to my friend this way. There is a good chance that the same life choices and behavior that you observe in others is coming from obligation. It's a commitment to a promise that they have made to God. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I will serve you all the days of my life. They made that promise, and they're obligated to keep it. It's dedication, consecration to God, rather than a supernatural encounter with God that radically changed them. Now, is that bad? Is that a bad thing? For somebody to serve God out of commitment and obligation and consecration and dedication to him. Answer, no, that is not a bad thing. That's how the Old Testament saints serve God. In Joshua 24, I quote it all the time. Joshua told the children of Israel, choose who you're going to serve. You're going to serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood. Or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land we now dwell? But as for me and my house, what is Joshua saying? I'm going to serve God because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's not because God did some radical change in his heart, some encounter, some power, some touch. He knew this is what you should do, and he chose to do the right thing. And so it was a good thing that he did. So is it a bad thing to serve God out of commitment and duty and, and, and out of a pledge that you've made, a promise you've made, which looks just like somebody that is serving him out of some encounter that they've had? Same outcome, same behavior, same commitment. But is one better than the other? Is one bad, the other good? No, it's not bad. 
But the question is, is it God's best? All right? Answer, I don't believe that it is. And I'm going to show you why this morning. Because there is a power that God wants and intended for his children to have. But many people, I did for many years, stop short of all that God has for you. Because either one, they're not sure about it, or they've heard some teaching that was in error about it. They've been turned off to it for some reason. People have mocked it. The world has mocked it. Or they're just not aware that there is more. So the question is, are you serving out of human strength today, which is not bad. It's good. I'm glad that you're consecrated to God. You're committed to God. You have that dedication. It's a good thing. Or are you serving out of his power? Because he has given you power to serve him. Going to have the same behavior, but the outcome is coming from two different experiences. Both are producing similar lifestyles. One is a strict adherence because you are honor bound. The other is a supernatural response to a power that was received when Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit. All right, I also answered him and the individual this way. Just by comparison, I said to him, sir, in my house that I grew up in, we were as holy in our observation as any, quote, spirit-filled Christian. We were just as holy. In fact, maybe we were more holy than some of them. I've been around spirit-filled Christians for a while, and I can tell you that not all of them lives as holy as we did in our house growing up without that experience. All right, because uh, in my, I've seen spirit-filled Christians that use language that if you use that in my house, you'd get your mouth washed out with soap and you'd get a spanking for using words like that. Because it was a strict adherence to a set of beliefs that was made out of a promise and a commitment to God, a dedication, a consecration to God. And so we had that strict adherence in our home and some Christians in our circle even had stricter observances of their belief than we did. Why? Because they just had a more disciplined life. How many of you know some people, they are just, they're disciplined. They're going to read the Bible through every year. And you, if you tried that, you, you, you would make it about to Leviticus, and that's as far as you'll ever get. Now, come on, be honest. Because some people are just, they're just, they're disciplined, and you may not be. And so sometimes according to the level of discipline that you have is going to dictate how holy and how righteous you live and how faithful and dedicated you are to the beliefs that you have. And so I answered it that way. I said, we, we lived our life. If you, you said, this guy says he, he's baptized in the spirit. He's had this encounter with God. And then you look at our family, they would look the same. One is out of an encounter and experience. The other is out of discipline and obligation, honor bound. So again, he said, I know that the baptism of the Spirit is the experience that made all the difference in my relationship with God. Now this morning, I want to turn our attention to something that has had received far too little recognition over the years. Although it is something that all of the Gospels has recorded and Jesus mentioned it. In the book of Acts, it must be pretty important, amen? And there's been some wrong teaching about this, and, and I want to try to correct that this morning. And I think it's important. We need to visit this, I think, periodically. I think too many churches avoid this nowadays because it has received such negative publicity in the body of Christ. 
And it shouldn't be that way. If God put it in his word, it's in there for a reason. Amen? We need to know what it is, understand it, and say, okay, God, if that's, if that's something you put in there, it's intended for me. I, how many of you want everything God's got for you? Yes. Amen? Come on, if you show up to my house and I got gifts for you, and you say, well, I'll take that one and that one. I don't want that one over there. Well, thanks a lot. I bought it for you. Yeah, but if I got that, people would make fun of me, all right? If I wear that shirt or I put on, it might look good on you, Dad. But then my, my generation, you know, and so that's probably a poor analogy, but you, you get what I'm saying, all right? So this morning, I titled the message, In the Power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, God, I just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would just have liberty, Lord, in the airways of those that's listening this morning right here in our sanctuary. God, this is a message, Lord, that I know is dear to your heart. And Father, it's something that we desperately need in the world today. God, there's things that we can do in our own strength. And Lord, we see that throughout Scripture. There's many things that people did in their own strength and their own power. But Lord, there are things that we simply cannot do absent of the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we need your spirit. God, we need it desperately. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So God, today, we want to be strong in you, God. We want to be strong in the power of your might. So God, speak to us today. Show us, teach us, Lord. And again, I ask God, pour out your spirit, Lord. Give us a fresh outpouring, not just here, but Lord, in every church, God. Reveal yourself, God. Teach us the truth, Lord. Help us to have authenticity, Truth, balance, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> now, let's break this down because I, as I was studying this, I've been teaching on this for a very, very long time, but I, I sat down and I thought it was going to kind of be a rubber stamp sermon, you know, pull out my old notes, just preach them, but I, can I just tell you that never seems to happen. I, I went to bed at 2 o'clock this morning after I finished this up because the Lord was showing some things I have never seen before on this subject. It's cool. You're going to like this. I think it'll help you understand it better. The gospel was written for a specific person. Each one was written for a specific purpose and to, to send a specific message. For example, the book of Matthew was written primarily for the Jewish people. Because he would say over and over, this was done that the prophecy of so-and-so would be fulfilled. Well, if you were a Gentile, that wouldn't speak to you like a Jewish person because they knew what the prophecies were. So when they read that, they were able to make the comparisons and see that Jesus was who they said he was. He was the Messiah. So it was to prove that Jesus was Messiah and King. Mark was written to show Jesus as a servant. Luke was written to show Jesus as a perfect man. And John was written to show Jesus as God himself who expressed himself as the Son of God. In other words, it starts off, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was capital G-O-D. All things were made by him, the Word, meaning Jesus. Without Jesus was not anything made that was made. He was Almighty God. But he took a part of himself, God did, and separated it from himself, stripped it of its deity, deity attributes and made him a man and just a man. All right, do you get that? Not only was he just a man, but he was the second Adam, the Bible calls him. 
He wasn't like any other man because Adam was created perfect. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. There's never been another human being that had that living soul like that from the birth of God except the second Adam. He was just like the first Adam. But the first Adam sinned, and when he did, his spirit died. Because he told him, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat thereof, you shall die. And so his spirit died, and every child born to him throughout history had that dead spirit until Jesus came. And he was the second Adam, all right? But he was man and just a man. But he was a man with a living soul. Because when God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. And Jesus is unlike men in the fact that he was a living soul. But other than that, he was man. He was all man. He experienced the same temptations, the same trials. His Bible says in all points he was tempted, just like you. So he didn't have those, those, these omnipotent attributes. Now, that's not saying that he wasn't omnipotent. He was. But he stripped himself of those attributes so that he could experience what you and I experience. And John portrays him that way. <clears throat> he was the expressed. Uh, him, okay, I got that. <clears throat> now, two things that each of the Gospels point out that's critically important that we should see it. One is that Jesus came as Lord and Savior. All right, he needs to be both, not one or. Now, he's the Savior of people that call out his name. But people that call out his name and they keep the promises that they've made to God with strict adherence, then he's the Lord of their life. All right, and I won't get into the details of what is the difference. Can you be saved and not make him Lord? Well, the Bible says you can't. And that's a deep subject we won't get into, but all gospels show him as Lord and Savior. All right, and the second thing that all the gospels point out is that Jesus will be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people will argue that that is one and the same. That when you get saved, you get baptized with the Holy Spirit in that moment, and it's the same thing. Now, I'm going to show you why that cannot be true, all right? And I'm not putting them down. I'm not arguing, but just hear me out. I'm going to use a lot of scripture. You probably won't be able to remember all this. Go home, play it, pause it, write it down, and search it out. I challenge you. Be a good Berean. Put it to the test. Go home, search the scripture for yourself. If you can disprove me, then correct me on it, all right? But just hear me out, and then you go search it out for your own self, all right? Because some people will argue that it's, it's one and the same. Now, all four Gospels record the account of John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that Satan wants to hide away from the church. He wants to hide this truth. Why is Satan so making a mockery of this and wanting to hide it away? I'm going to tell you why. Because the Bible says you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right? You, Satan doesn't want the church to have power. It's like comparing the difference between a bicycle and a motorcycle. All right? When you get on a bicycle, you can get to your destination. When I first came to Virginia, I left my car in South Carolina. I moved to Virginia 
because it's a long story, but I moved to Virginia. I didn't have a ride, you know, and I met this little five-foot-tall, blonde-headed, beautiful girl that lived 10 miles away from where I was staying, and I wanted to go see her. So I borrowed the little girl's bicycle where I was staying. It was a 20-inch spider bike, you know, with the banana seat and the high-rise handlebars. And I rode for 10 miles in July in the hot sun to see that little blonde. How many of you know I made it to my destination? I was wringing wet with sweat. And I was like, <laughs> I stopped at the 7-Eleven, got a bottle of Brute 33. My long hair, my hip-hugger blue jeans, my Jesus sandals. I was too cool for school. I rode down through there, and she was babysitting, and she said, hey, dummy. I said, well, hello there. I made it to my destination. But the next time I come to see her, I was driving my 1971 red Camaro playing in the God of the Vita, in the God of the Vita, baby. Don't you know that I'm loving you? I showed up with the power. How many of you know it's easier to get to your destination using the power? Come on, you can get there using either one. Every year right here, we have the state police bicycle tour. They stop right here as a rest point. They go all the way from Richmond to Charlottesville. All right? And they stop here every year to rest up, get refreshed before they go to their next destination in the town of Louisa. And then they go from there and they, uh, and they stop different places until they get to Charlottesville. The first thing that pulls in that driveway is the state police motorcycle, uh, uh, whatever you call it. They come rolling up in there in big Harleys, you know. And then behind them, here comes these guys. They're all going to make it to Charlottesville. But one's doing it in their own power. The other one's doing it in the power of the Spirit. How would you like to serve God? Come on, I want to get on that. Every time, I've got a, 19, uh, a 2004 Honda 1100 Shadow. I got it out the other day, cleaned it all up, was going to go for a ride, and something happened, I had to put it back in the shop. But I can't wait for one weather because I'm going to get on that thing. i got an honor-bound patch that says, Honor bound, motorcycle ministry, disciples of Jesus Christ. I put that on as witness wear. And when I ride that thing, a lot of times I see them guys on a bicycle. I go by them, I'm like, just let them know I got the power. Huh? Satan wants a powerless church. Because a powerless church is of little threat to him. The baptism in the Spirit was so important that after all four Gospels had recorded it, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, look at this, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. All right, where did they hear it? From John the Baptist. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. So over the past three years, John the Baptist, he's been baptizing, telling them, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I am. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and power. He said, now it's here. All right. 
In just a few days, what you've been hearing about is getting ready to happen. Not many days from now. Then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, there's been a lot of confusion about this subject. A lot of misunderstanding, misteaching on it, both from the people that accept it and the people that reject it. But uh, we need to understand that this is something that was important to God. And just as a side note, I mentioned last week about people criticizing the move of God in Ashbury using words like fake revival, cult, demonic, of the devil. And I said, remember I told you out of Mark chapter 3, Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand and they said he did it by the power of Satan. And he said, every sin that you commit will be forgiven you. But the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, God will not forgive. And he said this because they said he had the demon. So hear me on this. People may not agree with the, the church's position on the baptism of the Spirit, but please guard your tongue. Because yeah. I've heard people say, that is of the devil. And I'm like, man, when that bolt of light hits you, brother, I don't want to be near you. Because you just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in fact doing that and you attributed that to a demon, please don't do that. Even if you don't agree with it, just guard your tongue, I, I, I beg of you. Now, in the Bible, there's two separate occasions and two different ways that the Holy Spirit is given and received. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, we see in the same day at evening. All right, stop right there. What day is he talking about? All right, Jesus has just risen from the dead. Remember when he, was, when he was laid into the tomb, he's there three days. On the first day of the week would be, the, be what we consider Sunday. Shabbat was Saturday. It'd be the first day of the week. Mary went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. She, and he said, don't touch me, right? Don't touch me, for I've not yet ascended unto my father. But go and tell the disciples that I have risen. And she goes and tells them. All right, a woman was the first evangelist, ladies. Just so you know, God does use women, contrary to some other things people teach. The very first one he told to go tell the gospel was a woman, so we'll leave that alone and move on. So at the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, they were hiding out for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. So he's in his glorified body. He doesn't open the door. He just appears in the room. Are you seeing this? He said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw him. So Jesus said to them again, peace be unto you. Now get this, because we're going to build on this in a minute. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said these things, said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Time frame. Are you with me? What day did this take place? All right. The day he rose from the dead. The day he rose from the dead, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Question. Was this the endowment of power of the Holy Spirit as some people allege? You get everything all at one time. Answer, No. You do not get everything all at once. Jesus had just been risen from the grave. He is going to spend the next 40 days on earth ministering, 
for 40 days. And then the last thing he's going to do is tell them, now you go into Jerusalem and Terry, and I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to send the Spirit and endue you with power, and it will be another 10 days before that happens. So he breathes the Spirit on them, and 50 days later, there is another encounter with the Holy Spirit. Didn't all happen at the same time. Luke 24, verse 48, look at me. Just before he ascended into the Father, 40 days after he has breathed on them, he said, you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. All right, question. John 20, verse 22. Uh, if John 20, 22 is not the endowment of power, then what was it? What did he do when he breathed on them the day that he rose from the dead? And Because in the morning, all right, in the morning, Mary goes to the tomb. Uh, she sees him and he says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. And then it said the same day at evening, when they were in the room, the door being shut, he appeared to them. Where was he in that window of time? Well, if you want to answer to that, read Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, because he tells you about going into the holy place not made with hands. The tabernacle that the one on earth is a pattern of. And he brought the blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, and not every year, for then he did have to crucify many times. But he brought his own blood once and for all, and he cleansed the tabernacle in heaven. Then he returns, he goes into the upper room where they're at, and he said, uh, peace be unto you, and he goes, receive the Holy Spirit. Right, just for your understanding, what he did in that moment was the same thing that he did in the Garden of Eden when he formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. These people in the upper room, the disciples, became a living soul that day. They, that was the, the new birth experience. Uh, we need to understand that so that you understand you don't get it all at one time. Not, not necessarily. Some people do. And we'll see that in a minute. I'll move, let me move on. All right. So God breathed on them. And now how then... Do you become a living soul? If it requires the breath of God in the Garden of Eden, if it required the breath of God with the disciples, how do you become a living soul? Well, the Bible says, as many as believed, John 1, 12, it says, as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. So I hear the word of God. And this goes against the Calvinist teaching that God has to change something in your heart before you can believe. That is not true. Paul said, boy, I'm a, I'm a teacher, all right? Just allow me to teach. Is that okay? Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed uh, by, by faith. So it's, it's the hearing of the gospel. When you hear the gospel, John 1, 12, it says, as many as receive him. When you hear the gospel, you say, I believe that. I accept that by faith. To them gave he exousio, the Greek word. And it means the ability to become the sons of God. 
All right, so when we hear the word of God, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that the word of God that we're listening to is given, uh, the, the, the word of God is given by inspiration. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So I hear it, I believe it, and I receive it. So how is that the breath of God? All scripture is given by the theodeustos, the Greek word. And it means, theo means God, and neustos means breathe. This is God's breath, church. Do, do you realize when you read this, it is literally the power and the breath of God that breathes life into your spirit if you will receive it. And when you receive the word of God, you are literally receiving the breath of God, just like Adam did, just like the disciples did in the upper room, and you become a living soul. By receiving the word of God, the breath of God. Now again, consider what he said in John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I'm gonna send you out the same way. All right, how did, how did the Father send him? Did I miss something here? Let me check something real quick. Nope, I hadn't got there yet. Boy, systematically working this out last night, so it made sense. It was tough. <clears throat> All right, back up. Luke, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Let's look at it. Luke 3, 21, when all the people were baptized, they came, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And this is on the bank of the Jordan. John's doing the baptism. And he said, while he prayed, the heavens was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All right. So Jesus, this, this is so cool. This is what God showed me. Jesus is standing there at age 30. And God just descended by the Holy Spirit on him and declared, you're my beloved son. Now fast forward to the next chapter, chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. You mean he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit before? All right, let's figure it out. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Judah and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then we read about his temptation. He fasted. When he hungered, Satan came to him. After the temptation, verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. Verse 14, it said, Then Jesus returned. How? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee. All right, so after he has received this encounter with the Holy Spirit, we'll see what that is in a minute, he goes back to the region north of Jerusalem where he grew up, all right? We'll just call it Galilee County. It's the region, okay? And so he's in Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, verse 15, and then he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all, so he came to Nazareth. So now he's not just in Galilee County, he's coming to the little town where he was raised. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now stop right here. He has attended this house of God for 30 years. 
He said, as his custom was, was, he went to the house of God, by the way, every Sabbath day. People talking about you don't need to go to church. Well, Jesus apparently thought that you needed to because he went there every Sabbath day, all right? Are you hearing this? For 30 years. And when he walked in, later on it says, is this not Joseph's son? Is not his brothers and sisters here with us? So the, the, the family of Joseph came into church just like you. And if you look at, at, at Jude and, 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 and James, his brothers and his sisters, we don't know what their names were, and they're all sitting there on the row, and mom and dad, they were just like everybody else in the church. And Jesus is sitting there. He is no different than anybody else that walked through that door. They didn't see anything different about him. Well, isn't it? He's been here every Sunday for 30 years. What's he talking about? He's no different. All right, let's look for a question. Did he observe the commands of God from his childhood, yes or no? All right, he's in the house. My brother asked me, he said, I know the baptism of the Holy Spirit made the difference in me, but I see other people serving God and they don't claim to. What, how is that? What well, did Jesus observe the commands of God from childhood? The answer is, of course he did. Of course he did. First Peter 2.21 says, For to this we were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. The question, how did Jesus keep the commandments of God before the Holy Spirit descended upon him? Because before that, he didn't come into Judea in the power of the Spirit. He didn't come in the power of the Spirit. He came in just like everybody else. He was no different than anybody else. So how did he do it? Discipline. Discipline. Just like every other Hebrew, just like Joshua said, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joseph and Mary, these kids are going to serve God. Our house, as long as you're under my roof, you're going to serve God. Amen? As long as you're under my house, you're getting up, you're going to church on Sunday. I don't give you a choice when you're five years old or you're 15 or you're 19. If you're in my house, you're going to church. Amen? Come on. Discipline. Wasn't the power of the Spirit. He did it out of a commitment to God and a commitment to the commands. Just like every other Hebrew, he observed the laws through discipline, dedication, and consecration. So the question, can you follow Jesus today out of a life of discipline? Yes, you can. So I answered my friend. There's a good chance that people that you see, they make their life choices and behaviors, and they observe it out of obligation. It is a commitment to a promise that they've made. God, I'm going to serve you, and I'm dedicated to you. So is that a bad thing? Well, if it is, Jesus did a bad thing for 30 years. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Jesus had done that for 30 years. It's not a bad thing, but is it the best thing? I don't believe that it is. Now, Jesus has returned in the power of the Spirit. He's standing up in his home church now. He's getting ready to read. Let's look at it again. Verse four, chapter 4 of Luke, verse 17. And when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 30 years he's never made that proclamation. But today, something happened to him on the bank of the Jordan that changed him. And he's coming back in the power of the Spirit, the Bible said. And he stands up in his home church after 30 years of attending there just like everybody else. He said, today, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, now I want you to get this, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. For 30 years, he served God out of obedience, but now he came back changed. How? What happened to him on the, the bank of the Jordan? So question, when did he receive the power of the Spirit? It says he returned in the power of the Spirit. When did that happen? When the dove descended upon him. He was transformed by the power of the Spirit. It changed him. So John 20, 21, he says, if the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you the same way. Question, how did the Father send him? Answer, in the power of the Spirit. What did he tell the disciples? I'm going to send you just like God sent me. First, you have got to be transformed. You've got to become a living soul. But secondly, I'm not sending you out in your own ability. Although you can do that, you can ride your bicycle and get there. But I'm going to put you on a Harley Hawk. Amen. Come on. I'm going to put you in a 71 Camaro. I won't put you in a Ford because it'll break down. But... I love you if you love a Ford, you know. God loves you too, so. Why did I say that? <laughs> Not to mention that uh, the race the other day, first, second, third, and fourth place was taken by Chevrolet, but that, that's another story. <laughs> I'm terrible, I know. Now, Jesus has returned in the power of the Spirit. All right. And he said to them, I'm going to send you out the same way. So Jesus is going to send the disciples out in that same power. We find in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, he says, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then they all appeared a divided tongue of fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all, everybody say all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now, let me just say, just as a little clip, the baptism of the Spirit is not about you speaking in tongues. That's just a sign. It was the physical evidence that it had happened. It was the initial physical evidence. We see it in several places in Scripture, every place but one. But it's not about whether you can speak in tongues or not. It's about you being changed by the power of God to be a witness. Because yeah. I don't care if you speak with tongues, if you got a tongue as long as a, a guy said, he, he said, how did he put it? He said, he said, I would rather see everybody in the church chew tobacco and spit than have one wagon gossiping tongue in the church. He said, I went to a church one time and there was little coffee cans sitting at the end of the row, <laughs> mountain church. All right. And he said, that must be the way they took up, take up their offerings here, you know. 
And he said, about the time he thought that, said, little lady, my grandma, she dipped snuff all her, all her life. Godly woman, she dipped snuff. And said, this lady, she picked that thing up. She said, this thing's strong out. And he said, great day. He said, can you do that again? I have never seen anybody do that. And everybody in there said, we can do it too. He said, I'd rather see everybody in the church chewing tobacco and dipping snuff than one wagging tongue, gossiping tongue. He said, because one just rots your teeth and stinks. You know, the other one will rot your soul. So I don't care if you can speak with tongues. If you don't, if your life doesn't match it. The endowment of power is not about you saying, woohoo, I can speak in tongues. I remember this guy, he said he went to a, a Jesus festival. It was a big camp thing. And this lady was going around and she was praying for people speaking in tongues. And he walked up to her and said, she, she walked up to him and said, I speak with tongues. He said, yeah, and you also sleep with men. She said, yeah, I sleep with lots of men. Because the devil can speak in tongues too. Are you hearing me? I have heard it come from a demon-possessed pe- person speaking in tongues. So that doesn't impress me. I could care less whether you speak in tongues or not. Are you endued with power to be a witness unto God? Now that doesn't make the speaking in tongues any less important. It is the communication between the Holy Spirit and God. Paul said, when I speak in tongues, my spirit prays. My mind is unfruitful. How be it I speak mysteries? I don't understand what it is. It's a communication between the Holy Spirit in me and God. It's the perfect will of God. So it's a good thing. I'm not putting it down. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is about. It's about the endowment of power to be a witness unto him. So just 50 days... For 50 days, they have had a living soul. He breathed on them in day one. 50 days later, they were just like Jesus for 50 days, just like he was for 30 years, a living soul. But now something has happened. They're in the upper room, and suddenly, just like the dove landed on Jesus, now the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And they have been endued with power from on high, just like he was on the Jordan. Are you seeing this? Question, did the spirit endowment end there? Because a lot of people teach that, that it's passed away. It's called cessation, that it ceased with the First Testament church, First Century church, with the apostles. Did it end there? Answer, no, it did not end there. It has not passed away. How do we know this? I'm going to give you five real quick reasons. Are you still with me? I'm going to finish up here. Number one, Jesus said that the power would reach to the ends of the earth. The power of God is going to be there so that you can reach, reach the people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's going to be done in the power of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the second thing, verse 17, he said, in the last days all flesh would receive the Spirit. Because they said, well, these people are drunk. These people are drunk. With new wine. Why? And people can, some of this is left open for interpretation. So there were people there and it names all the different languages that was there, you know, and there's an argument. Well, did they speak in the unknown tongues or did they speak in a known dialect? I don't know. They spoke in a language they didn't understand or they spoke in their own language and people understood in their language. However it happened, it was supernatural. I'm not going to argue the point because we don't know. You can't win that argument anyway. Something supernatural took place. 
But they, they were, their behavior was such that they thought they were drunk. I don't know if they were staggering. Have you ever seen somebody in the Holy Spirit and it looked like they were drunk? I have. I've seen people fall down. I've seen drunks fall down. They assumed that they were drunk. And he said, no, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's not a time of day that people be drinking. All right, it's the third hour. But this is that which the prophet Joel had prophesied in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the first century church. No, that's not what he said. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall see, dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. And on my daughters, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So the third reason is he's pouring out his spirit, not just on the first century church, but all flesh. Acts, the third reason, Acts 2 verse 38, he said, the gift is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. And for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Come on. Did God call you? then the gift is for you. If God called you, the gift is for you. The fourth reason, we see it repeated at least four more times in the book of Acts, actually five times. We see it repeated five more times. We see it in Samaria. It said when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent Peter and John that he might lay hands on them that they might also received the Holy Spirit, for he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in water. So we see the the whole city of Samaria has a new regenerated spirit. They have been water baptized as a testimony that I have been reborn of his spirit. All right? But none of them had been baptized in the spirit until Peter and John came and laid hands on them. And it said, Simon the sorcerer in that city saw that power was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, and he offered them money, saying, give me this power, that whoever I lay my hands on, they'll receive power. And they rebuked him that he thought the gifts of the Spirit could be bought with money. Well, there's, I could preach today with some places. People selling their, well, go somewhere else. We see it in chapter 9 of Acts when Paul and Ananias, Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he said, I saw a bright light, brighter than the sun. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why you persecute me? He said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. And then he said, go into uh, uh, Damascus, and I'm going to send someone. So he received salvation then. He met Jesus Christ, and he received the new birth experience right then and there. Then he goes in, Ananias is visited by the Holy Spirit. He goes over, and the Bible says he laid hands on Paul, and the scales fell off. And Paul was endued with power and changed his life. We know that because in Corinthians, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Howbeit, when I'm in the church, I'd rather speak five words of understanding than 10,000 nobody understands. Boy, when you're in the church and you blow a trumpet, nobody knows, unless it's an uncertain sound, they don't know what you're talking about. You know, and, and that's a, another subject, but... We see it again in Acts chapter 10 when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, meaning this is not just for the Jewish people, it's for you too. And the Bible says that while he yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to speak with tongues. And then Peter said, is there any man that can forbid water that these would be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? We see that in two more occasions when he's having to give an account to the apostles when they're rebuking him for going to a Gentile's house. They were prejudiced. 
And he said, well, while I was there, the Holy Spirit sent me there. And so while I was there, the Spirit fell on them just like it did on us in the beginning. So the same thing that happened in the upper room happened right there in the house of Cornelius. So how do I know it hasn't ended? It didn't end then. We see it in Acts chapter 19 where the apostle Paul meets 12 of the disciples of John. He said, if you receive the Holy Spirit since you believe, what is he asking them? As many as believe on him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. You're a believer. Have you received the Holy Spirit though? I know you're a Christian, but are you baptized in the Spirit? That's what he's asking them. And they said, what Holy Spirit? We don't even know what you're talking about. He said, wait a minute. How were you baptized? They said, well, we were baptized by John. He said, oh, okay. John is talking about one that's coming after him. And then the Bible says he preached Jesus to them. They received Jesus. He took them in the water and baptized them. Then he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. Come on, it doesn't all happen at the same time. All right? These, and, and every time but one. Now, with Cornelius, they were saved and baptized in the Spirit all at one time. And they weren't water baptized either. So you don't have to be baptized to be saved. All right, I'm not going to get in that. But that is an outward testimony of what God has already did in your spirit. Couldn't we just correct so many things? God bless them. I love people, but we get so confused with so many things, you know. And if we just rightly divide the word of Christ, he tells you to study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly divide the word of truth. That's what I'm trying to do. Say, preach it, Pastor B. I'm trying. The fifth and last reason, Paul acknowledged that the Holy Spirit was working in the epistles. He he wrote it to the churches, especially in the church of Corinth. He's bringing correction about how the Holy Spirit was being used in the church at Corinth. So right there's five reasons that I know why it did not end on the day of Pentecost. They were not the only ones who received the baptism of the Spirit. Now, two ways... We see in Scripture how the baptism came upon the New Testament church. We saw it in the example of Pentecost when it came directly from God. There was no human intervention whatsoever. They were there in one accord, and the Holy Spirit just showed up, and they were baptized in the Spirit. We saw the same thing while Peter was preaching. He didn't touch anybody. He didn't didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. He's telling them about Jesus. You know, Jesus came and he did this and he did that. He's the Messiah. The whole Testament told about him and all this and all of a sudden, boom. They jumped up, started speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit baptized them right then and there. Nobody touched them. It came directly from God. So the concept that you have to come to the altar and you got to tear and people's got to get around you and they got to lay hands on you and they're telling you, let it go, let it go. No, hold it in, hold it. I remember Carl Strader, he said, I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for years. He said, they did everything. They got around me at the altar and they say, let go, brother, let go, let God, you know. And he said, they even shook my golly whopper. Because <laughs> it ain't real if we don't hear you speak in tongues. And he said, my nephew came by one day, he said he had long hair, a little blonde-headed kid. He was on fire for Jesus. He said, Uncle Carl, can I pray for you to receive the baptism? And he thought, I don't want. This man's got a doctorate in theology. He's pastoring a church that seats 10,000 people later on in life. This guy's big shot now. And he said, I didn't want to discourage the faith of this little young guy, you know. He's like, why, sure, son, you can pray for me. He said, that little teenage boy laid his hands on me and said, the power of God hit me. 
And he said, and God gloriously baptized me in the Holy Spirit. So there's been so much teaching that's just an error. That, and sometimes I think we just get in the way. Yeah. Just let God, you know, if you're hungry for God. No, I'm not saying be hungry for the baptism of the Spirit. Don't be hungry for an experience. Be hungry for Jesus. Jesus, I just want more of you. And if I live my whole life and you never touch me in that way, it's all right with me, God. I'm just hungry for you. But God, if you've got something for me, if there's a gift sitting over there and it's mine, I want it, Lord. Give, give me all that you've got. I remember my mom, and it's a testimony of redemption. I could tell you stories. I, had to, I, I learned about her early life, and I could tell you she was a real redemption story. I, who knew? She had, what was it, 23 13, how many shock treatments did she have? She had 13 the first time. 13 the first time and 12 the second time. Shock treatments. It's a wonder her brain wasn't jelly. Trying to erase memories. I didn't know from what. Now I do. From horrible things from her childhood, from her youth. All right. She had a cabinet full of pills. Most of my childhood, I remember a woman laying in a dark room depressed. She attempted suicide twice. She was a wreck. She was a mess. Couldn't decide anything for herself. Now, her youngest son, which grew up in a church that didn't teach or believe any of this, my dad never spoke against it. He was a pastor for 30 years in a denomination that didn't believe in this. And the only thing he would ever say is it's better to speak five words of understanding that nobody can understand. That was his whole understanding of the baptism of the Spirit. He just left it alone because he didn't understand it. And my mom was a wreck. And her youngest son went to a youth retreat and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it kind of shook things up in our house. And my dad went into his study and he started pouring over the scriptures, some of the same scriptures I've shared with you this morning. And he came to me, he said, Bernie, I can never preach this from my pulpit. But what you have found is true. He had a, a, a master's in theology. He said, what you found is true. And he sought the baptism of the Spirit till the day he died. Never experienced it. I, I, I don't have answers for that. I don't know. But I know he sought it. My mom, on the other hand, she called me up one day. She's like, Bernie, I'm thinking about going to so-and-so's house. It happened to be the same man that prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Spirit. She said, I'm thinking about going to his house with so-and-so. Should I go? I said, well, Mom, I, I, I'll pray about it. I didn't tell her yes or no. Remember that? My son, Nathan, had just been born. He was a baby, all right? And when I hung up the phone, I said, God, when she gets there, when she, I just believe in God, she's gonna go. When she gets there, God, just visit my mom. And she was sitting in the living room of this man's house. And when you went to his house, you talked about Jesus. He couldn't sing a lick, but he was gonna sing praises to God. It was in the key of I don't know what, but... He was one of the meanest men I knew. He said, did he, he, I said, I said, Butch, you ever kill anybody? He said, I don't know, Bernie. I said, let's don't talk about that. So what was the meanest thing you ever did? He said, I beat a guy. He, he was a cripple, and I took his money. And I beat him up, took his money. Another guy come up to me with a big old Bible one time. He said, you know, Jesus loved you. He said, I hit him right in his mouth. Blood running down his chin. I took his Bible and ripped the pages out of it, threw it away. He said, I beat another man one time, and I went back and drug him over, put his teeth on the curb, and stomped him in the back of the head. He was a mean man. Whew, the tr 
the transforming power. There is no secret to what God can do. If he hadn't told me things about, like that about him, I would have never dreamt that he was that kind of a man at one time because the man that I knew was a godly man. And my mom is sitting in his living room and he looked at her and he said, Abby, do you want all that God has got for you? She said, Butch, more than anything, I want everything God's got for me. He said, well, then in the name of Jesus, receive it. And he touched her. And for the next day and a half, she was a wreck. She went and kept going to the bathroom, and, the, and, and her friend said, Abby, are you okay? She's like, yeah, why? She said, well, you kept going to the bathroom. She said, because I couldn't say anything of understanding. Every time I'd open my mouth, all I could see was gibberish, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I'd go in front of the mirror, and I was just like, blah, 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 blah. She needed that. Not everybody has an experience like that. But the question is, and what I leave with you is, look, don't, don't seek that experience. I'm not saying that. Do you want everything that Jesus has for you? Because I believe with every, every fiber of my being that God intended for you to have a power that is beyond your obligation, your dedication, your commitment, your natural ability. All those things are good, but it's God's intention to endue you with power. Paul said this, God, may we stand in the power of your might. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes, but why don't you stand with me and I'm going to close with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to forget this. Well, some people say, well, pastor, you know, how do I know that it's not a demon spirit? I'm speaking in tongues. I mean, demons do that, don't they? Yes, they do. Wow. How do I know that it's real? It's from God. It's, it's, it's not another spirit. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father. All right, just a relationship between a father and a son. Are you seeing this? Amen. Will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a for a fish, a serpent? Verse 12, if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much shall your heavenly Father... Stop right there. He's not talking about a lost person here. The only way he is your heavenly Father is you have been born by his Spirit. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You've got a regenerated spirit. He is your heavenly Father. How much more will your heavenly Father, who you have received as Lord and Savior, give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? I'm hungry for you, God. I am hungry for your spirit, and I'm asking you, God, and do me with your spirit, Lord. And do me with power, God. I want to serve you, and I don't want to just do it. Not that it's bad, but I don't want to just do it in my own strength, and my own ability. God, I want to do this in your power. I had somebody ask me one time. I had to go into a very, very tough situation. And I had this brother. I was like, it's going to be tough. Will you pray for me? And he did. He called me. I was over. He said, well, are you bleeding? He said, are you bleeding? I said, no, I'm not bleeding, brother. I had my armor on. He said, you had the shield of faith. I said, no, I went and got on my knees and I put the whole armor of God on. He said, man, that gives me chills. 
because I walked in that situation not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in the power of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I can be strong in Bernie and in the power of my might because I'm a pretty determined person. I've got a strong will. I've got a strong conviction. I can keep the commandments and laws of God without the Holy Spirit guiding me or directing me. I can do it just because of my determination. I'm a bullheaded person. How many out here is a bullheaded person? My grandson told me the other day, he said, Pappy, you got ears like that dinosaur or something. Your head. And, 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 and Gigi said, you shouldn't say that. No, that's good. That's good, Gigi. He said, those dinosaurs butt trees and knock them down. I said, what are you trying to say? I'm a hard head. You can do it in your strength, but wouldn't you rather do it in his power? Now, I'm not going to say to you, if you ask him, he's going to boom. I don't know what God's going to do. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you what the Bible says. If you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. And you don't have to worry, is this a demon or is this something else? It's the Holy Spirit that he promised you. He promised you. So can I be a faithful servant out of a commitment to a promise that I've made to God? Lord, I give you my life and I will serve you. Yes, I can. And it's not a bad thing. And if that's where you live, God bless you. I am so glad you're faithful to him. Keep marching on, brother. But I'm telling you that God has something else for you. I believe that there is a power that God wanted and intended for his children to have. And I believe that he wants that for you. Amen. Father, we just ask you in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray, God, and have prayed many times, Lord, pour out your spirit, Lord. God, give us a fresh anointing, Lord, a fresh outpouring, Lord. God, I pray that for my life, Lord. I don't want to become stale and stagnant, God. God, just pour out your spirit, Lord. Endue us with your power, God. I pray that you endue every single person in this room with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. That, God, that we can be strong in you and in the power of your might, Lord. God, I thank you that we have determination. We have dedication and commitment. But, Lord, I pray that we don't have to just solely lean upon that. Because, God, there's times that things are just bigger than we are. God, they're stronger than we are. They're mightier than we are, God. And we need your strength, God. We need your power, Lord. So, God, I pray that you pour out your spirit on every single person, God, and do them with the power of the Holy Spirit, God, like you said you would, Lord. We ask you, God, give us your spirit, Lord. And then, God, we will go forth in the power of that spirit, just like you said, I'm going to send you just like the Father sent me. Jesus, if you needed that, I'm almost certain we could really use it ourselves. So God, please, just endue the church with power again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Church, I don't even know how to end this. If you want to come to the altar and just get before God and pray, then by all means, the altar is open. Hunter, why don't you lead us to the throne while we just let God have his way in here this morning.
stars they went Morning sun was there The savior of the world was fallen His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness battle and the grave war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake
before we close, I don't want you to leave today. And if you know there's something in your heart that's not right with God, maybe you have never really made a commitment to Christ. I'm talking about that regenerated spirit and you're sitting there and you can't tell me that I know that on that day, I trusted Jesus as my savior, that I became a Christian that day. And if you can't, don't leave today without making Jesus Christ the savior of your soul. I invite you to do that. Simply put your trust in him. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm gonna live my life for you. It can be that simple. The Bible says, as many as believed on him, to them gave you the power to be the sons of God. That's where it starts. So simply put your trust and faith in him. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. All right. And I want to trust you. If you'll do that today, Jesus will come into your life. And he will transform you and change you. All right. And then the last Sunday of this month, well, what is the date? We're going to have a baptismal service here on the 26th. All right. If, you haven't been, if you've been saved, you've never been water baptized. Love to baptize you. Um, I, I just understood just recently that somebody was baptized as a child. They said, you know, and I did this. I was, I was baptized when I was five years old. And then when I was 14, I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I, I was awful young. You know, I'd, I'd like to be baptized again now that I have a clearer understanding. And um, somebody's requested to be baptized on that Sunday. So uh, we would love to baptize you. All right. Also, want you to remember that in two weeks, on the 19th, if listen, if you have someone in your family, a friend or someone that you've been praying for, you would like to see them become a Christian, and they haven't, try to get them here on the 19th. That's not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. Because I'm going to have an evangelist here. His name is Gerald Mahan, and he has an anointing to win the loss. They call him fire, shut up in his bones, Gerald Mahan. He's an African-American gentleman, and he's going to be here in two weeks. So if you've got a lost friend, get him to church that Sunday, all right? And I'm going to sick him on him. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to say, you got some, some sinners in here? Gerald, sick them, boy. All right. And then the following Sunday, we're going to have baptismal service because I'm just believing God. We're going to bring some people to Christ. They're going to need to be baptized the following Sunday. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time together, Lord. I pray the word of God has found fertile ground today, Lord. May it grow and increase and bear fruit now. In Jesus' name, we place it in your hands, God. Lord, you said to some plant, some water, but it's you that gives it the increase. So, God, I've done my best to sow seed today, God. I pray that it be watered, God. You give it increase and it grows, Lord. Now, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ, over every home that is represented here today. God, bless our homes, Lord. Truly and genuinely, God, make it a place for the Holy Spirit place where he's welcome. God, that you strengthen the family, Lord, husbands and their wives, wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. And then God, I pray a special blessing over those who are traveling their journey alone. God, they're looking for that special person, Lord. I pray that you lead them to the person that you have for them. And God, they can start their journey together. Lord, if they're content with just following you and you being their mate, God, you strengthen them. And then, Lord, today I pray for those, Lord, that may be wishing to conceive, God, and they've been having trouble with that. Lord, open their womb and bless them, God, with a child, Lord, by the anointing of the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Jesus, I am come. I only way to choose. The gospel is free.